Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. Awad Gross has served as an assistant attorney general and has been advocating against undisclosed money in Missouri politics. And now the Democrat is trying to unseat Attorney General Eric Schmidt and overhaul one of the state's most important elected offices. Gross joins us on the latest edition of Politically Speaking. So let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me via Zoom, one of the two Democratic Attorney General candidates, our special guest today is... Alad Gross. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we talk about issues and your priorities for the Attorney General's office, I want to give our listeners a sense of who you are, your your legal background, and why you got interested in Missouri politics in the first place. Sure. Oh, wow. That's uh, yeah, that's a bit. Uh, so uh, I am a former Assistant Attorney General of the state. I've also served as a Special public defender, which just means I was so special I didn't get paid. Uh, but I've done that for the state as well. I'm a civil rights attorney. have been practicing in that area for quite some time. Uh, have experience in a whole bunch of different areas of the law because uh, our attorney general's office um, oftentimes requires you to have many hats on at the same time. Uh, that's due to some public funding issues, how much we're investing in that. Um, so there's a lot of you know, a lot of issues that we're seeing in our public institutions throughout our state. Um, I got involved in public service through education. So my mom uh, became a single working mom when I was a teenager, and she was stuck with me, uh, my brother, who's a fun one, my sister, uh, and uh, she, she, so she's a first-generation American, and uh, for her, education was opportunity, was a way out of poverty. She grew up very poor. Um, and she eventually came to America, and uh, when she was, you know, had all of us, she was, whatever I can do to make sure they have wonderful educations. And so she sacrificed a whole lot. We got to go to uh, the Clayton Public Schools, uh, which is a wonderful public school uh, system. Unfortunately, uh, she had to make all of those sacrifices for that to be possible for her kids. And there are so many people who are working so hard who don't have that same opportunity. So that rubbed off on me. I started working with kids when I was uh, uh, very young, Uh, ended up starting a nonprofit organization that still works with kids in St. Louis City today. We do a lot of leadership programming for them, primarily in the Hyde Park neighborhood, which is on the north side of the city, Um, but also have worked in uh, parts of the county, was involved during Ferguson. Um, We helped run the emergency school program there. And that's how I started meeting, uh, you know, some elected folks. And, and that was my first interaction with them. Um, and the more I worked with kids, the more I realized how much goes into 
how a kid succeeds. And that's not just what happens at school. That's also poverty is a very big issue. Jobs, uh, healthcare, our justice system. So I ended up going to law school. Uh, I interned with the attorney general's office. Saw the wonderful potential that office has to do so much good in our state and just fell in love with it. Um, but I decided to run for office because I was actually in a court fight um, against a, a, an old nonprofit organization, a fake charity that was uh, spending millions and millions of dollars in dark money spending in our politics. And as I was arguing in court, I quickly realized that one of the biggest reasons why our system is not working for our kids is because it is working for a lot of folks who have money and power, but my kids don't have that. And unfortunately, um, they get ignored, and I'm, I've been seeing that all throughout our state, and I think that's wrong. And so um, you know, I realized that we really do need somebody uh, to hold our government accountable. That's not happening right now, and the best office to get that done is the Attorney General's office. So I'm, I'm really excited to be running for it. So I want to talk more about your advocacy against, quote unquote, dark money, which is kind of the term that gets used to describe what I like to call undisclosed political donations in the Missouri political system. What you were referring to is your litigation against a new Missouri, which was a 501c4 that was set up by allies of now former Governor Eric Greitens. And I know from uh, reading a lot of your press releases and seeing a lot of your coverage that you want to make fighting dark money a priority under your administration. Talk about like how you would do that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think transparency is extremely important. You can't have accountability without it. And that's what these folks have figured out. So they start these fake charities. Sometimes they start uh, like shell corporations if they don't care about the tax benefits. So we saw an LLC that was involved in one of these not too long ago with our current attorney general. Um, and it, it's it's just a way for, for them to hide who is actually trying to influence our policies. So a lot of the money that that, that one non, uh, former Governor Greitens nonprofit was pouring into the system was for right to work. Um, and they were pushing that policy in Missouri with millions of dollars, and we still don't know who in the world was doing it. Uh, the attorney general has a lot of power to actually bring transparency to that system. A lot of folks don't know this, but in Article 8 of our state constitution, in two sections, it actually prohibits uh, uh, these schemes designed to conceal the identity of political donors. But we don't enforce it because it benefits those folks who should be enforcing it. Um, so that's one. We can enforce the law already. Two, the attorney general has a lot of power under Missouri's consumer protection laws, specifically around regulating nonprofits. In fact, uh, this charity that I went after, this fake charity that I went after, um, in addition to all the other ones, if they want that status, they actually have to apply to the attorney general's office and say, I promise I'm going to follow all the laws that you're not going to enforce. That's a problem. Uh, so we need to enforce those. Uh, three, I've actually proposed the End Dark Money Act. This is the second year that it has been proposed. Obviously, session was changed quite a bit this year, so it didn't move very much. Um, but I, I'm going to continue advocating for that. Um, and it, you know, it doesn't require everybody to disclose who they are. But if you are trying to use that money for political purposes, it should be disclosed, and that's what that law would require. Um, so I think that there's there's several ways to to really rein in what dark money is doing in our state, but because this is a national network of this spending, this hidden spending in our campaigns, it would actually unravel quite a bit of what's going on throughout the country because we would have jurisdiction to deal with anybody who's got a website asking Missourians to donate. 
Um, and so I've, I've already been talking to folks in different states about how we can best coordinate that and different strategies. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, um, you know, really cleaning up our politics, not only in Missouri, but throughout our country. So one of the big responsibilities of being attorney general is not only setting policy, which we're going to talk about later in the show, but also managing an office. And I want to give you some time to talk about how you would manage the attorney general's office, anything that you would restructure or any divisions that you would add. What would be your vision toward actually running this very important post? It's great that I've gotten to work there. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a very accelerated pace. So I've learned quite a bit from working there. And I, I was in charge of a lot of efficiency projects, training of attorneys, especially in trials, um, the internship program. So I've seen a whole lot. Um, I would make some significant changes. Number one is I would start Missouri's first civil rights division. Uh, we are one of uh, I mean, a whole bunch of other states have these already. They've already implemented them. They actually enforce civil rights uh, requirements under Missouri's Constitution. That would be in our situation and under the United States Constitution. We don't have that division right now, and it's certainly showing. We're having very little leadership from the Attorney General's office on the crucial matters of race and policing and accountability. We just aren't seeing it. And I think we do need a civil rights division for those reasons, also to protect privacy rights, workers in the workplace, a whole bunch of things. And it's just, it doesn't exist right now. Um, you know, I, I think I think a lot of the divisions that uh, were there when I was uh, are important. One of them that uh, in the last few years was eliminated is the environmental division, the agricultural and environmental division. I would bring that back as a conservation division. I think it's very important for us to especially hold corporations accountable that are polluting our natural resources in our state. Um, I think we need focused attorneys who are doing that. And unfortunately, when we eliminated that division, we eliminated a lot of experience around there. In the last few years, we have seen a lot of attorneys leave that office. Um, it was a tough place to work. There were very few supports for folks, and uh, it was very sad to see. Um, so actually, we've released uh, several plans. We're the only candidate for a uh, campaign for this office that has released pretty detailed plans on what we would do. Um, and that includes um, how we would restructure the environment to be more supportive of the folks who work there, uh, make sure that folks are getting support in child care, uh, the right kind of reimbursements, and really advocating for folks because we are sometimes the lowest, sometimes the second lowest paid assistant attorneys general in the country. We usually compete with Mississippi over that, and we really need to treat our folks better. Uh, if we can't compensate them better, we should certainly make the work environment one that, that works out. Um, in a recent plan we released uh, was about how to uh, really build diversity and inclusion within the office, which is a very important thing for me to do, um, having run the intern program there um, and having advocated on a number of issues while I was in the office. Um, and then I think also from within the office, we really need to enforce conflict of interest and ethics reforms, uh, all those policies within the office. Right now, our current attorney general is not enforcing any of that, um, which I think is a, is a very big problem. Let's talk about diversifying the office for a moment. Frankly, there are not a lot of people of color that come out of Missouri law schools. And the choice between going to the attorney general's office and making a whole lot more money on the private sector, I think a lot of them are not going to choose the attorney general's office for a lot of reasons. So I want you to kind of drill down a little bit more about how you're actually going to accomplish 
diversifying the office from from a racial perspective, but also from a gender perspective and LGBTQ perspective as well. One, for all of you uh, young folks who are looking to work somewhere, the attorney general's office is a wonderful place to work. We'll make it even better after November. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's a it's a great place to get a lot of experience. I mean, you know, I, I, I hopped in on my first day as an assistant attorney general. Um, I, uh, you know, I got sworn. I didn't get to go to the Missouri Supreme Court where a lot of people get sworn in. I didn't get to do it. I signed my name in the book. I still haven't gotten to do that. Um, I was taken across the street to a, a little room with an administrative law judge, very sweet lady, and she swore me in and my friends were there and they had a little cupcake when I got back. And then after a few minutes, a whole bunch of files just dropped on my table. I said, what's that? Well, those are your cases, and you have 1,300 of them. That was my first day working for the state, and that's like, well, welcome welcome in. So there, you get a lot of experience very quickly, um, a lot of trial experience very quickly, too, which is very exciting for folks. And yeah, it's true. I mean, we, you know, it's really nice about the office is that so many folks have left the attorney general's office and then gone on to do something, you know, absolutely amazing in the legal field with that experience. So um, we did put out a plan that actually goes a lot deeper than what you often see with like diversity and inclusion statements. Um, we, it's a very detailed plan. I could go over it for a long time. I don't want to take up your whole show doing it. But uh, you're right. We do not have uh, enough folks, um, especially in, in Missouri. We don't have a lot of black people who are graduating from our law schools. Um, in the legal profession as a whole, there's a very big problem. And this is true about a lot of professions. It's about 5% nationally uh, in America, uh, folks who are black who are graduating from law school. Um, in, in our attorney general's office right now, based on the most recent data, 93% of folks who work there are white. I mean, it's not a very diverse workplace. And you wonder, well, how in the world are you going to deal with that when, you know, you don't have as many folks coming? You have to start early. Like you have to go into schools and you have to talk to kids and you have to talk to parents and you have to make this a profession that is, is realizable. And, you know, I, I think, you know, I've worked in education for 13 years in, in Missouri. I think we really have to look at how can the attorney general best support our teachers, our folks who are in uh, our communities all throughout the state. And I think that means the attorney general should be a lot more active. We should know who our attorney general is. And that attorney general should show up, especially in schools, and talk to kids. Um, I think we need to have a recruitment system for our intern program that goes beyond just law students. I think we have to look at college students and high school students, too. Um, I think we have to look at partnering with uh, local organizations on scholarships and encouraging folks to go to law school and to go into this profession. And I think that that alumni network needs to become an alumni network at the attorney general's office. I think that we need to leverage all those folks who have come in, make sure they have a wonderful experience working for the state, that they've done really meaningful work, and then bring them back and say, I want you to support the next generation of assistant attorneys general in our state. I think we just have to really make it more of a community effort and less of us just protecting our own turf and our own offices. So, I mean, there's some other details in there. Uh, for example, eliminating this, I don't understand it, but this requirement that law students have to be at a certain part of their class, like top of the class, in order to apply for the attorney general's office. I mean, I'm sure that helps a lot of folks who are really good at taking tests because it's all you do in law school and folks who have had the financial supports to get to that point. But, you know, it should really be a, a holistic way of looking at people rather than just looking at them based on a test score. We'll be right back after this quick break with Democratic Attorney General candidate Alad Gross. 
St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts. And we're back on Politically Speaking with Democratic Attorney General candidate Alad Gross. I want to talk about George Floyd and the protests that have come about since his death in Minneapolis. I think that the attorney general's office could be looked at as a sort of a vanguard or, or somebody who's leading the charge to change how policing and criminal justice are done in the state. And I want to give you some an opportunity to talk about what sort of policies you would want to pursue as attorney general, even though you can't enact them. The legislature would have to enact them. You could certainly suggest it to the legislature. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're exactly right. I think there needs to be um, a, a much closer relationship between the attorney general's office and the legislature. I think that the attorney general, it should be the public's advocate. And in a lot of these issues where there's specialized information, I mean, you have prosecutors at the attorney general's office. The attorney general regularly coordinates with prosecutors and attorneys and law enforcement officers uh, throughout the state and should be using that knowledge to influence and to inform legislation, obviously not passing it. That's the legislative branch's job and there's separation of powers and we should respect that. Um, the attorney general can do quite a bit. Um, and I think from that's, that's another reason why I think the civil rights division is such an important one, because a lot of times what you see in municipalities, uh, with police departments that aren't doing the best job by their people is that there are a lot of civil rights uh, uh, violations that are occurring. Um, one of the proposals right now in, uh, uh, on the federal government side is to actually provide grants to um, attorneys general uh, throughout the country to uh, investigate more of these issues because they, they do take a lot of time. And, and, but I think that that needs to be a priority. We need to make that a priority within the office one way or another. Um, I think that working with different law enforcement officers to get their input, community members to get their input, public defenders. I mean, one of the, the, the things that our current attorney general right now is doing is he's arguing that we should have less funding for our public defender system, which is extremely overburdened and one of the most overburdened in the country. It's a, it's a very big problem. Um, so, yeah, we proposed uh, a few changes there. We're actually going to be coming out with a lot more uh, policies around policing and accountability. I think accountability is an extremely important part of our justice system on all sides of it. Um, and criminals should be held accountable whether you're wearing a badge or not. Um, so we actually have a website. Um, it's, it's our Missouri Justice Initiative at justicemo.org, where folks all over the state are providing input. We've held multiple town halls on this topic, too. Um, we actually are going to have um, uh, uh, several more, but we've had uh, some with the Ethical Society of Police. Um, uh, Sergeant Ta Heather Taylor came on to discuss it. Shanette uh, Hall, who's an officer in the county, just had one um, uh, that I was participating in just the other day. Um, we're going to be talking about qualified immunity and different kinds of you know, ways to look at how can the legal system better hold folks accountable. But I think I think we desperately need a civil rights division that is going to be doing that. And that should come from the attorney general's office. One of the other things that the attorney general's office does now is compile an annual report on racial profiling. And the biggest complaint that I've heard beyond just the data being 
not what it should be, is that there's really no penalties if it sho- if there's a showcase of really bad racial profiling. Would you want to use your civil rights division to actually go after police departments that consistently do poorly in that report? Yeah, I'm a big yeah, I'm I'm a big believer in a collaborative approach to government. I don't think it benefits any of us to have uh, you know, two folks in our government just fighting over each other whether that's for political purposes or anything else. I really feel strongly the attorney general's office should be a nonpartisan one. It doesn't really make sense to me that it is a, you know, yeah, to run under a party and I mean, you, you should there's the law, enforce it. There's civil rights protections, there's a the constitution. Everybody's got their own interpretation, but that should be what the job is. Um, that's a little bit of a side note, but yeah, uh, and, and, you know, I know that there's a lot of criticism about the data that oftentimes comes from folks who don't really want to admit the truth, but the truth is that we've got a lot of racism in our, uh, in our justice system right now, a ton of it. And this report hasn't just shown, oh, you know, one time there was this data anomaly somewhere. Um, and I don't, you know, I understand that there's a small sample size. I, I was in economics uh, I studied that too, and and you know I know statistics and all these kinds of things. I prefer not to use it because uh, I just didn't like it as much. But yeah, I mean, sure, I can understand that for some some municipalities, you might only have you know a couple cases, and maybe you know that year w- didn't look too good. The years before looked fine. When you look at the data on the statewide basis, on a statewide basis, it shows that black people, black drivers, are more likely to get pulled over more likely to be arrested, and less likely to have contraband on them by a ton, by like a a massive amount, 94% for black drivers versus white drivers right now to be pulled over. And, you know, that's that's a reflection of of a lot of things, of where our enforcement is and why we're enforcing that way um, and what officers might individually be doing, what training we're providing, all these different things. Um, Yeah, there is no penalty right now. And that report hasn't just shown that for the last few years. It's shown that for the last 20 years. We know that's a problem. So yeah, that civil rights division will certainly look into those issues. I don't think we need to start with, you know, lawsuits necessarily. I think that we should look at how can we best help you get past this problem? Like what is the issue that's hanging it up? Do you need different training? Do we need to bring somebody in from a different state to describe what the heck they're doing to fix this problem? But at the end of the day, if you ain't here to serve the people of our state, we're going to sue you. We're going to sue you and we're going to come after you very hard. And I think that that needs to be the accountability piece in all of this. If you know that you can keep putting out these reports and if you know that you can keep doing these things and if you know you don't have to fix the problem because nothing's going to happen to you, then we're in the situation we're in today. What do you think of the idea of the attorney general's office coming in whenever a police officer uses deadly force and investigating that for the local prosecutor? Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've talked to some local prosecutors what their thoughts are about that. That was a recommendation that was made in the Ferguson Commission report, too. And I was uh, very active in, you know, providing input during that time, went to all of their meetings and still do. Um, I think it's it, I think it's a good idea. I think it's one that we really need. I think the attorney general should be prepared to take on those cases with the state highway patrol. In fact, we're seeing that right now. There was a, a, a shooting in Sedalia. Um, and the highway patrol was asked to come in and investigate. I think that's a really good way to make sure we have an independent group that's looking into what in the world happened, um, and there are less questions. We have a very big problem with legitimacy in our government right now, and if it looks unfair to everybody, and it seems unfair, and in fact it has been unfair, that's a problem. We need to reestablish trust. 
I think that there are some prosecutors' offices, especially in larger municipal areas, that will have the capacity to have their own division that can, you know, look in these situations that are, you know, separate from their police departments, and they're just doing that. Um, in those situations, I can see, I can see an argument to say that is an independent system. Um, I would hope that they would, you know, certainly draw it up in the right way, and as an office, we would certainly help them do that if that's how they choose to do it. But uh, the attorney general should offer help and assistance in investigating all of those cases. So let's talk about a few of the high-profile cases that uh, Attorney General Schmidt has been in in the last couple of years. One of the things that he inherited from former Attorney General Josh Hawley is this lawsuit against the Affordable Care Act. Now, when I talked with uh, Attorney General Schmidt last year, he said that he's kept Missouri in that lawsuit because he believes the ACA is unconstitutional and wants to see Congress create a new plan with pre-existing condition uh, protections and, and, and whatnot. I'm sure you've heard his arguments on that. If you were attorney general, would you have remained in that lawsuit? And what do you kind of make of Schmidt's arguments about keeping Missouri in it? No, I would not have remained in that lawsuit. I think it's a bad lawsuit. It's bad policy. You don't you know, when you're shopping for another home, you don't burn down the one you're in before you get a new one. And that's 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 what he's trying to do. Um, it's not just him. He's he's joined with a lot of other attorneys general throughout the country to do that, um, unfortunately. But, yeah, I think it's it's a bad argument. It's one that's costing taxpayers a whole lot of money and it isn't going to really benefit them. I mean, if he wins tomorrow, by, I mean, that's not never going to happen because, you know, you've got to get to that point where you're in court and they're scheduling and everything. But if he wins and that same day, uh, you know, the, the ACA is repealed and uh, entirely, because that's what he's arguing for. He's not arguing that part of it should be repealed. He's arguing that the entire thing should go because uh, a couple of sections he believes are unconstitutional. And maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong, but you know, when, when that happens, oftentimes you can take that section of the law out and you can maintain the rest of it. He's not saying that. He's not saying, I want to protect uh, folks with pre-existing conditions. I want to keep Medicaid expansion available to the millions of Americans throughout the, the country who have taken advantage of that program and now have affordable care. He's not saying that. He's saying, get rid of all of that for everybody. Um, it's bad policy. It's, it doesn't really make too much sense under the law either because we've, we've gone there before. But yeah, I mean, he's taking advantage of the political climate to try to make it back to the Supreme Court and have, you know, rehash a lot of these arguments. So yeah, I mean, on some sections, there, there's some legal argument to have, but, but the one where you're like, oh, well, no, I really do care about the people and want them to have their health care. Well, then your argument should have been that part of the law makes sense. The part that I disagree with should go. That's not his argument. Um, so yeah, I, I certainly would have withdrawn Missouri from that uh, lawsuit. I also think in the healthcare space, the attorney general needs to become much more active against insurance companies that are cheating Missourians too. Um, he hasn't been very active there either. Schmidt's uh, office has also filed a lawsuit against the government of China, um, arguing that they're, they covered up information about COVID-19 and they need to be held responsible for it. What's your view of that lawsuit? But I also want to ask you, what will be your office's mentality toward COVID-19 and coronavirus-related litigation that may come out, whether it be lawsuits against nursing homes or PPE vendors? The China lawsuit is a fake lawsuit that was designed to get him on Tucker Carlson for about five minutes on Fox News. It's, it's a very unfortunate one. Um, it, it has no legal backing whatsoever, and I'm not the only one saying that. Um, I'm sure you'll, you can talk to a lot of attorneys, including the attorneys for President Donald Trump, 
who thinks that it was just a political stunt too. It's very unfortunate um, that he's using taxpayer money. And that complaint was a long one, had a whole bunch of research in it, and was written by one of the highest paid attorneys uh, in his office. Um, and, I mean, that's just a total waste of, of time. Um, if he had wanted to hold China accountable um, for something that they were doing to Missourians, he didn't have to look too far because in Milan, Missouri, there's a plant, Smithfield, uh, that is a Chinese-owned corporation, and it is exploiting our workers. Uh, in fact, the workers had to go to court on their own to get protections imposed within their workplace uh, related to COVID-19. Uh, and fortunately, they got a judge who, who agreed with them. But the attorney general was nowhere to be seen. In fact, I called them and congratulated them. And he said, what are you, you're running for attorney general? I'm like, yeah, is, have you heard anything from the office? And they said, no, we've never had any interaction from him. Nobody's ever come out to help us, despite all of the dangers that we are in. Um, so he could have sued them. And they are exploiting um, not only our workers, but also our natural resources. And they are absolutely destroying our uh, food ecosystem in this state, and they are killing small farms. Um, no regulation there whatsoever. Um, so yeah, this was this was a fake lawsuit. And the reason that he cho chose to do this one versus actually suing Smithfield is Smithfield gives him campaign money. So there's an interest there to not you know rattle the folks who are feeding you, I suppose. But it's it's unfortunate to see that from from our attorney general, which is again why I think conflict of interest is uh, that policy is so important to enforce, and he really needs to start doing that. Um, yeah, I think, look, in general, I think if somebody does something wrong, we should hold them accountable. Uh, on this on this particular lawsuit, we do not have more evidence than the federal government has. There's actually federal law that allows the president to be in charge of foreign policy. So if he disagrees with the president and the way that he's dealing with this, I recommend that he run for that office and not this one. But, you know, he's made his choices, and I guess it, it, it sounds good on TV for a little bit until you think about it. Um, in general, we have released... Um, three plans now around the uh, coronavirus um, and COVID-19, um, and those plans include um, uh, protecting the right to vote, which I think is very important, especially right now, um, because we're, we're seeing some of that mess right here in Missouri. Also protecting our food supply, as I just described before. But yeah, making sure that, um, that, that we are not getting cheated, especially when it comes to scams that are usually follow these kinds of disasters, and that's in the healthcare space, but also, uh, just like you said, with PPE, protective equipment, there are folks who are trying to take advantage of that situation and sell things to Missourians. I mean, we should be absolutely vigilant. We're seeing a lot of, we're seeing a lot of price gouging around the state, at least we were at that time, um, and, and folks were coming to me <laughs> thinking that I could do something. I'm like, well, if you wait a few months, but you really need to get help, so I would direct them to uh, the attorney general and local prosecutors as much as I could. But uh, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, another thing that folks uh, were talking a bit about is also protecting tenants in our state because, you know, once the economy started crashing and it looks like, you know, we're improving over time now, which is great. But uh, when that was happening, there were a lot of folks who couldn't make rent payments, were struggling to get unemployment. So I actually um, was very active in helping folks on those issues too. But um, yeah, I, th I, I think there's a lot of, of, of space for the attorney general to be involved in all these kinds of public health situations. We should have a plan in place before um, for disaster preparedness, and uh, the attorney general needs to play a very big role in that. So I, yeah, I'd recommend for folks who are interested in this topic, if you go to the website, um, aladgross.org, we've got a solutions tab there, and all of those plans are listed in, in detail. 
We're recording this on June 16th. It's the day after a landmark U.S. Supreme Court case involving uh, the the court deciding that it is unlawful for employers to discriminate against somebody because they are gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender. And um, Attorney General Schmidt filed an amicus brief with Texas, Tennessee, Nebraska, other states arguing, and I'm I'm reading from a Post-Dispatch article here, that federal protections for sexual orientation and gender identity did not exist in federal statute and thus couldn't be applied. A spokesman for Schmidt said on Monday, so yesterday, said, in an amicus brief, we joined with other attorney generals. We made a textual argument as it relates to the original meaning of the law, and the Supreme Court has delivered their opinion. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt believes strongly that every person should be treated with dignity under the law. I want you to respond to uh, the attorney general's decision making on that and how you would have handled that particular case and anything else you would do kind of in the LGBTQ realm as attorney general. Yeah, uh, his statement's a load of crap. And it's it's absolutely awful, especially the last part of it, his strong belief uh, that folks need to be protected. Well, then do your job and protect them. I mean, it's not, this is this is what you were, well, he wasn't elected, he was appointed, but this is what your job is. It's supposed to be to protect folks' civil rights. And again, there is no civil rights division at that office. That's his choice. I've been talking about this for a very long time. He could have put one in place anytime, and he still isn't doing it. I'd be happy. I'd be happy to see him do, I'd be happy to help him do it if he'd like. Um, but no, he, there, there is no strong belief there on behalf of our attorney general to protect folks, uh, their civil rights, whether they're in the LGBTQIA plus community or not. Uh, this was a wonderful decision, uh, one that was written by Justice Gorsuch, which I think surprised a lot of folks, but uh, it was very simple, very plain, very textual, as our attorney general uh, disagrees with, apparently. But uh, it's very clear that civil, the civil rights laws that we have written apply to everybody. Now, they were designed to, uh, at the time, the 1964 Civil Rights Act was to deal with uh, black versus white um, and to protect black folks in America and civil rights there. Um, but those civil rights, that, that, is, that is just a wonderful legacy of, of our law when we do it the right way, is that it has all of these protections going into the future, looking at these different situations as they might occur, even if we can't expect them at the time. I mean, our Constitution has been here for a long time, and we've made changes to it and everything else. This, he did not have to get involved in this lawsuit. If he had such a strong belief, he did not have to file this amicus brief. That is an entirely voluntary thing for you to do. He did not have to make this argument that he did, that we should continue to discriminate against LGBTQIA plus Missourians. He didn't have to do any of that. Uh, And in fact, before this decision came out, the Missouri Supreme Court and two other decisions has found uh, that this kind of discrimination isn't okay in a lot of these different areas. So I think it's about time that we, from the Attorney General's office, apply those rulings, the local ones that we've had in our state, and now this federal one, to protect folks in Missouri, their civil rights in all of these different areas. And that includes housing, which wasn't dealt with in this case. That includes public transportation. That includes jobs that was dealt with in this case. But that all the same, the same logic applies to all of these situations. We shouldn't have to wait and waste a whole bunch of taxpayer money on litigation to get to that point. Uh, the first plan I released as a candidate was how to protect LGBTQIA plus Missourians in our civil rights. Um, we have to protect all of our civil rights. Because if you're leaving one group out, you're leaving all of us out. It, that's, that's how this works. So that was the first plan we put out. Um, I know, uh, you know we've, we've tried to pass the Missouri Non-Discrimination Act, 
for 20 plus years now in Missouri. Um, I will implement that fully within the office with my employees as Attorney General of Missouri. Um, and I, that civil rights division will enforce civil rights law in our state. Um, it is about time, it is well past time for us to protect folks uh, and all Missourians in our state. And uh, no, I, I don't buy for a moment uh, what the attorney general had to say. And if you look at his record before he was attorney general, when he was a state senator, he refused to vote on this issue, despite the fact that Republicans supported it too, including our current governor, and I'm going to give him credit for doing that, but supported non-discrimination policies in our state. Our attorney general refused to vote on that as a state senator. So no, I, I don't believe it for a second. You're running against Rich Finneran. This is probably the only Democratic primary where you have two strong well-funded, well-organized contenders. What's your pitch to Democratic voters in August that you are the better candidate to run against Schmidt? I've been running for a while now. Um, I started very early. And uh, over the course of this campaign, I have had 409 in-person events throughout the state, uh, including in parts of the state where no statewide candidate has gone for a very long time. Um, I remember a lady in Marshfield who came up to me after uh, I was talking and she said, thank you so much, and was almost crying. And I said, no, thank you for being here. Like, if you weren't here, I mean, I, I have, I'm just talking to a bunch of empty chairs. And she said, you don't understand how much this means to see somebody coming to our town to talk to us. Uh, and over the course of, of this campaign, not only have we traveled the most, not only have we had the most visits to folks throughout the state, not only have we had all this community input, but we have built literally the biggest grassroots campaign for this office ever in the history of our state with the number of folks who are donating, the number of folks who are volunteering. Sure, we don't have as much money as our current attorney general. Uh, nobody's going to. There's nobody in this Democratic primary who will. This guy can take uh, millions of dollars from Rex Singfield in a heartbeat because that guy's got a whole ton of money and he, he wants some things from that office. We, uh, from the very beginning, I said we were going to do this the right way. We weren't going to take dark money. I've been offered dark money before, and I said absolutely not. Um, we are very transparent on this campaign, uh, and we have set the standard on so many of these different issues. Uh, a lot of folks have started adopting our practices. We've, we've shaped a lot of what's happening, not only in this election, but also um, in the party. I think the Democratic Party has failed our state for quite some time. I think both parties have. And I think it's a problem when you've got a party that comes out and says, well, look, uh, we're not going to show up, but we're going to have all these ideas. We're going to tell you we know better, and we're going to expect you to, to you know, just listen to us and do what we say. That's not going to work. I, I'd be frustrated. I am frustrated about it. We, uh, we're doing better, um, and I have been working with the party for years and years, um, the longest out of anybody who's, who's running for this office. I'm a member of multiple caucuses, including the rural, the labor, uh, 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 the progressive one, a whole bunch, because I just, you know, I like to get different voices. On this campaign, we have Republicans and Libertarians and Democrats and people who have never been involved, involved now. And I think it's important to have those voices. I think it's important to have a campaign like the one that we're running. I think it's important to know where your candidate stands and what policies they're going to put forward. So you're not just picking me because of my good looks, but you're picking me because you like the ideas that we have. And uh, we're the campaign that's doing that. So, um, you know, I, I, I think I feel very strongly about what we're doing. I feel very strongly about the future of Missouri and what we can accomplish from that office. And on day one, 
because of my experience as an assistant attorney general, because of my experience working in our justice system from all different angles, we will be ready to fix a lot of the issues that we have in our state and bring folks together around that. So um, I think I think people are ready for an anti-corruption attorney general, and I think we desperately need one right now. Well, thank you so much for joining our show. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How can people follow you either on social media and any other parts of the World Wide Web, including like your campaign website? Oh, yeah. Go to the website. It's aladgross.org. That's E-L-A-D, gross, like disgusting. Aladgross.org. Go on there. All of our uh, social media is up there, too. We're very active on Facebook, Twitter. I'm Big Alad. Instagram, I'm Big Alad. TikTok, we're even on there. we got some high school kids running that thing. So, yeah, you can find us, but go take a look at the website, and uh, you'll be able to get links to all of that stuff. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long.